Thank you so much, uh, just for uh, that warm welcome, and, and just what a pleasure it is to be here with you guys. Wow, you got my name up there and everything. Looks so good. This thing is going to annoy me. Sorry. I don't, I'm not used to something coming out of the side of my face and protruding, squishing my head, but uh, I think we're going to make do. And so, uh, anyways, just again, thank you so much for being here. Just what a pleasure it is to uh, just worship with other believers that aren't in my normal circle that are here meeting together you've taken time out of your morning out of your day to worship together to worship the one true God and to um, to light the advent candles and remember that um, all of the great things that God has done in your life in the Bible and amongst others and amongst the world um, and that brought me as as I was watching this wonderful family come and read about our God and light these candles it, it reminded me of uh, a psalm and I just would like to read just a portion of that it's Psalm 105 tell of all his wonderful works oh give thanks to the Lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples sing to him sing praises to him tell of all his wondrous works glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, child of Jacob, his chosen ones. Just a beautiful psalm to remember the beautiful works and the wonderful things that God has done in each one of our lives to bring us here to worship together. And so today, uh, as it says there on the uh, screen, my name is Chris Weaver. Uh, we're from Wichita Falls. Me and my family, they're up here in the front. Um, and we, um, we have driven here today, this morning, uh, to just share uh, God's word with you, to fellowship with you in a meal. Um, and to this morning, if you weren't there, uh, to share about uh, God's call on our life, on our heart, uh, to be missionaries over in Papua New Guinea. And so my wife and I, we've been um, doing the missionary thing um, for about would you say nine years so we did two years of seminary two years of training six months of raising support three and a half years so maybe like seven or eight I'm not really good counter but anyways um, I'm not good with numbers so um, but yeah so we've been missionaries we were over in Papua New Guinea since January 2020 um, saw all that COVID was and prayed for you guys here. I didn't know of Ira then, but praying for God's church and God's people um, in the United States. And I'm so glad that you're continuing to meet together. Today we're going to be in Romans 10. So if you would take your copy of God's word and turn to Romans 10. So as you turn there, I want to I want to set the context of what's happening in this time and when the Apostle Paul is uh, where he's located on his missionary journey. I want to talk about some of the biblical themes that we find in Romans chapter 10 and just to pull out just a few truths. I'm not going to pull out every one because I'm not perfect, of course, but I just want to kind of highlight some things that we see in Romans chapter 10. But before we do that, I want to set the stage um, and so just give you a little bit of a background of who Paul is for those who may or may not know um, about his background. And then also I want to set the stage for the book of Romans um, when it was written and some of those other things. And so the Apostle Paul was also known. Am I really loud? 
like I feel like I'm keeping this pretty much staying the same. So down, move it down. Wait, hang on. How's that? Is it like an old Ford? You got a three on the tree kind of thing? Okay. How's that? Is that okay? Man, weird. I don't know how you do this every week. It's awesome. Big hand for Ben Moore back there. All right. So let's get into it. Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, known as Saul, he was a Jew, so his name was actually Saul. He was a Jew. He was born um, of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, it, I, I didn't know that until I researched it, but he's born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was also a Roman citizen. He was born in Tarsus. Saul also is described as a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. That would be kind of like saying he's a man amongst men to us. Like he is envied. People look to him for leadership. When he walks in the room, people turn and look to him. And so because of that, because of his, his devout uh, religion, um, Saul dedicated himself to the Jewish law and joined the Pharisees. They taught, the Pharisees taught that all the Jews should be devoutly following the 600 laws that are found in Torah. And not only that, but they should also be practicing all of the ceremonial rituals of purification. So Paul joined, or Saul, sorry, Saul, he joined that. That was the route that he went. So he was born a Jew, and this was his religious tract. I'm going to devote myself to these 600 laws and also all of the ceremonial things that they tell me to do. And then um, he was a front runner. He was also, to add on to that, to, on, to add on to his religion that he was doing, he was a front runner in the persecution of the early disciples of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 7 and 8, the writer points to Saul's possible involvement in Stephen's death. Acts 8.3 says, but Paul, or sorry, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This was the level at which he was at. He was at the action level, the killing level, the I'm going to destroy everything that has Jesus on it. So later in Acts 9, we can read about the conversion of Saul. When he meets the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's blinded and has scales that form over his eyes. The dialogue that is written in verses 1 through 5 between the resurrected Jesus and Saul is literally Saul's come to Jesus moment where he realized what he had done. Jesus says, why do you persecute me? This is where he truly understands the deity of Jesus. That Saul had been heavily involved in the persecution of not on not just some rogue teacher, not just some some nobody nothing from Nazareth. But he had actually been persecuting the followers of the Messiah. The Messiah whom all Jews had been waiting for, including himself the Son of Man, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Head Crusher, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He had been persecuting him, killing his followers. This is the kind of man that Saul was. This is what he devoted his life to. 
Acts 9.15, Jesus says to Ananias about Saul, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Jesus told a prophet to go and seek out this killer of killers. This bad dude. So that he could use him. Saul's eyes were then healed. He began to speak boldly about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And upon hearing that, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Zealots, all of them turned a complete 180 to him. Where they were cheering him on. Go, 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 go. Let's, let's go and let's raid, let's kill, let's destroy. They turned their back on him and they came after him. And those were the very people they were trying to kill him. But with the help of other Christ followers, he was able to escape. And in Acts 13, Saul is sent out on his first missionary journey to the Gentiles of Cyprus. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, is known and is known for his purely historical documentation of the New Testament, one of the one of the most historically accurate books in the Bible accounts Saul's name change to Paul, that he was also called Paul in Acts 13, 8 through 10. And so now we know him as Paul, who was Saul. And it says, but Eliamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposes or opposed them and tries to turn to the proconsul of faith. Then in verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul. And then from here on out in the book of the New Testament, we now hear Paul instead of Saul. That was the name change. You remember in the Old Testament how uh, the Holy Spirit or God would come upon um, folks like Abram and change his name to Abraham as he followed. This wasn't like that. It was Saul, also known as Paul, which is interesting to me. So one of the main things that I'd like us to think about whenever we think about Paul, whenever we mention the Apostle Paul, is that he called himself the chief of all sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. But God still used him in a mighty way. He was a killer of killers, a Hebrew of Hebrews, persecuting the church, but yet God still chose to use him. And that's huge. So now that we've got all that background, let's turn to Romans and Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And sorry, I got I got to do the history. I got to do the background. I got to make sure that you know where we're at. And so we're going to do a little bit of background on Romans that I think that you'll find interesting, especially if you are um, you are someone who um, enjoys strategy, enjoys um, things coming at the right time, meeting at the cross section. And so we're going to talk about that. Why? the book of Romans, why the letter to the Romans, Roman believers. And so now that we understand a little bit about Paul, let's get into Romans. The book of Romans to me has been one of the most pivotal books of the Bible in my life. And I don't know about you. I'm sure you all have a favorite verse, um, maybe a section of the Bible, but Romans, the book of Romans is mine. The wealth of knowledge and real life information for us as Christians written out here by one man, the apostle Paul is deeper and so much more than one can ever comprehend lifetime 
did you hear me, just in this one book in Romans, the theological depth and doctrine that you find within Romans is so much more that it's hard to comprehend. And I know that in my lifetime, if I were to study it every day and dive deeper and deeper into it, I don't know that I would ever be able to go into the, to exhaust it. It's just that deep. So it's believed by historians that Paul wrote this letter during his third during his three-month stay in Corinth towards his third missionary journey. Christian historians that are far more educated than I, believe me, um, believe that the church in Rome was not actually planted by Paul or Peter. This, is, this was new to me as well. That it, the, the Roman church, these Roman believers in, sorry, in Rome, in the city of Rome, it was not planted by Paul or Peter, but it was actually planted, they believe, by visitors from Rome that had heard Peter speak at Pentecost. So if you remember back in Acts 2, Peter is speaking at Pentecost, and it says that there were visitors from all over the Roman area, and there were visitors from Rome there who heard the teaching of Peter at Pentecost. And so we can only just venture back and say that these possible Jews and Gentiles from the city of Rome went back to the city of Rome and began to meet together in house churches. They met in kind of almost secret, like we would see in China or something like that. So in, in, in uh, 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius, he had kicked out all of the Jews. Okay, This was a huge one. So in 49 AD, Roman emperor Claudius kicks out all of the Jews out of Rome, and so the Gentile Christians... So you had Jews and Gentiles meeting together in these house churches, and now you have Claudius who kicks out all of the Jews from Rome, from the city of Rome. So these, now you have these Gentile believers who are pagan believers meeting together, and you can just imagine what could have possibly happened. These Christians were on their own, basically at this point with only Old Testament portions of the Torah and what they had been taught at Pentecost. Could you imagine not having the New Testament and how far off the church would get from the gospel of grace and turn back to a, to a faith-based works? Can you just imagine if you didn't have any kind of internet, any kind of old sermons, any kind of New Testament teaching, you didn't have been here, you didn't have any of that, and you guys just continued to meet together no real leadership how far how, like how far off do you think from the gospel that you could possibly get probably you could get considerably because all you knew at that time or all they knew was works was the Jews and the Jews had a very distinct style to them so I promise I'm almost done with the background so could you just imagine that or like in Romans chapter 6 where Paul writes, well then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Can you just imagine how far off that you could just get in a few years? You could go either side. And Paul's letter to the Roman Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, it came at a crucial time of the re-entering of those exiles who had been thrown out of Rome. So this is that, this is that crucial point, that pivotal moment where the church is reforming. 
in Rome. And Paul writes this letter and says, he gives them all of this knowledge, all of this wealth of information, all of this theology, everything to keep them centered on the gospel, to keep them centered on a gospel of grace and not a gospel of works, to keep them, to keep them focused on what they, what they had been taught at Pentecost and what Paul had been encouraging them to continue to believe because they're coming back together, these Jews and Gentiles. So now we have Romans 10. So let's start with verse 1, and I'm going to read through it. It may be long. I'm sorry if my voice cracks or that you lose, uh, lose your place, but let's, let's look at it together. Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, may my heart's desire and prayer to God be for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does not, com sorry, for the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into to the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus raised, or that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 11. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him? of whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news line 16 but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ but I ask have, have they not heard Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and the, their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hand to disobedient, to a disobedient and contrary people. So right here, right at the very beginning, we read brothers. Paul says brothers, and some of you may, in your translation, it may say brothers and sisters. Paul is writing to fellow believers, co-heirs of Christ. 
other people who are like-minded, who are believing the same things that he is about Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to them, and he's burdened. His desire and prayer is that the Israelites may be saved. If you go back just one chapter into, into chapter 9, he explains his agony for the Israelites. He says in verse 2, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ, if that they would be saved. His burden is heavy, folks. And he's writing to these Christian brothers and sisters in Rome and sharing his heart for his own people. Praying that the very people who know the name of God, who follow the writings of the laws of Torah, do ceremonial cleansing. They're very religious. They are zealous for God. But they would snuff him out in an instant. They would kill him that fast if they had the chance. He's praying for those people to be saved. He's praying for his brothers in his own family, his sister, his mom, his dad, his aunts, uncles, those who would kill him, people that he grew up with, people who were um, huge in his life. He's praying for them that they might be saved, and he is willing to give up his own salvation so that they might know the truth. In verse, five, in verse 5, Paul goes back to Moses of the Old Testament who first wrote down the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Moses wrote about the righteousness that is based on the law, but not about the righteousness itself that we know to be Jesus Christ. Paul points out that it's true, that, sorry, that it's the message of righteousness by faith that saves. Old Testament, it's by the law. It's by your faith who God is and that the Messiah would come. Christ has come. He's died on the cross. It's Christ alone now. Your faith in Christ, the righteousness. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If we declare with with your, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The, method, the message is by faith alone, through Christ alone. The law is finished. The self-righteousness of abiding by the law is no more. It's finished. Christ finished it. He is their propitiation for sin. Righteousness only comes through Jesus now. It's one's belief in their heart that justifies and makes them makes the unrighteousness or the unrighteous righteous. And through one's mouth that they proclaim faith and are saved. Isaiah twenty eight sixteen says, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
That rock is Jesus Christ. And it's a stumbling block for the Jews. And Paul is burdened for them. Verse 12, Paul goes on to tell them that that for every Jew and Gentile, that, G, that Jesus is for every Jew and Gentile, that, that the Lord is, that Jesus is Lord over all. Not just for one particular group of people, not just for those who are over here but not over here, not just for those who live in the south but not the north. Jesus is Lord of all people. The good news is not just for the Jew or the Gentile. And here comes the promise and the challenge in 13. I want you to look at it with me, please. The promise in verse 13 comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do we believe that, church? That everyone, regardless of race, color, or creed, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what he's preaching here. That's what he's teaching them. He's telling them, remember this, that this is true. No matter who you are, what socioeconomic status you have, whatever family name you have, wherever you live, whatever color or race you are, you, just like everyone else, can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Realizing your own sin and that you need a Savior. You can be saved. You can be saved from eternal damnation, lost in a sea of fire by proclaiming Jesus. The challenge, I believe, so that was the promise. Now let's look at the challenge. The challenge, I believe, is found in the next group of verses, starting in 14. Look at that with me. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news I believe Paul here he lays it out but he lays it out in a reverse order and I want you to follow along with me and I think that he did that in order to capture the believers attention because what he does here is he lays out the steps necessary for someone to be saved. In verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've established that. But then he goes, but then if you look in the reverse order, it would be going down to 15. How will anyone go and tell us, or how will anyone go and tell unless they are sent? Verse 14, how are they to hear the good news unless it's proclaimed to them? How would they ever believe in Jesus if they have never even heard of him? How can they be saved unless they believe in him? So to shorten it up, to paraphrase it, if you will, let's just go ahead and say preachers are sent. So we all know that in order to be saved, you call on the name of the Lord. You realize you're a sinner. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus. You put your trust in him. You put your eternity in his hands in what he did on the cross. Okay. So how does that gospel message ever get out? How does the good news ever get from here 
to hear. To hear. Well, preachers are sent. Preachers proclaim the good news. People hear the message, and those who hear believe. You heard it. You were saved at camp. You were saved at a revival. You were saved behind the door of a bedroom with your mom and dad kneeling at your side at your bed. But you heard the gospel. Somebody brought it to you, and somebody brought it to them. Preachers sent, preachers proclaiming, people hearing the message, and those who hear believing. So look at verse 16 with me now. So chapter 10, verse 16 and through 18, he quotes Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message? Many people of Israel denied the good news. They heard and some even witnessed it all right before their eyes, folks. They saw Jesus. They saw miracles. They saw that they heard the teaching and then they watched him go to the cross. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They watched it all happen. They had numerous chances to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. But they didn't. And Paul's burdened for them. Paul is burdened for them. Faith does come by hearing. But if the message falls on deaf ears or calloused hearts or an unwilling hearer, like we see in verse 18 here, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? The Apostle Paul answers, yes, they have in verse 19. Did they understand? Yes, they did. The Apostle Paul answers, yes. And then Paul points out what God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 32.21, just after God described how fat and unruly and how a how the Jews had abandoned the God who made them. They worshipped foreign gods. They made sacrifices to demons, and they roused his jealousy and provoked his anger. And he says, okay then, all right, that's how you want to be, my chosen people? I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation, and I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. Those people that you make fun of, those people outside of the of of the Israelites, all of the other nations that you're supposed to be a light to, I will raise up your jealousy because of your insolence. Your insolence. Because you will not follow me. Because you will not hear my message. <coughs> Hundreds of years later, Isaiah says to the Lord, and later Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying. I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. Verse 21, but regarding Israel, God said all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Paul is burdened for a people who are blind. A people from which he comes from. A people whom have calloused their hearts a people whom have seen the wonders and miracles for hundreds, if not thousands of years, yet they still don't believe. And he's willing to give up his own salvation 
so that they might believe. That they might have the privilege of knowing the, the Jesus that he knows, the Messiah, the chosen one. They could only recognize that through him all of the prophecy of the Messiah had been fulfilled. What a shame. Truly, truly unfortunate. <clears throat> and so our application today is one that should challenge us to reflect, pray, and take action. Excuse me. <coughs> so the application today it should challenge us to reflect, pray, and take action. You shouldn't walk out of here empty. I firmly believe that. God's word does not return void. Okay? Especially amongst other believers. So reflect, pray, and take action. So the first question that I have for us this morning is do you anguish? Do you anguish like Paul for the lost? Is your heart burdened so much that you would be willing to lose your own salvation so that others might be saved? Salvation has come to you, but what about the rest who may or may not have heard or have even a chance to hear the good news? Church, are you burdened? Are you burdened for the lost? The Apostle Paul knew that the Jews had, had several chances to believe in Christ for their salvation. To know that their own self-righteousness, no matter how many laws they followed, would never earn their salvation. Today, do you or maybe someone you know not understand what to put their faith in or who Jesus truly is? That they're going to spend, in, if they were to die, that they're going to spend an unending eternity separated from him. Paul in Romans 9 ready to give up his own salvation so that others might believe. Do you have that burden, folks? Do you have that burden, church? Do you have that burden, light, in a dark place? You are light in a dark place. Do you have a burden for those who are in the dark? <coughs> Second question. If you have that anguish like Paul, are you aligning your will through prayer with his will? What I mean is, is oftentimes we ask and pray, God, reveal your will to me. What's my purpose? What, what do I do? What, what would you have me do, God? What's your will? Are you aligning your will with his will? Are you asking the other question? God, whatever your will is, align my will with it. Change my heart, change my mind to think like you, to see like you, and to feel like you. That's the change. Because you're no longer making this relationship with God about you. You're making it about him. Because it is about him. You're taking that whole will thing, and you're turning it around, and you're turning yourself on your head, and you're saying, whatever you want, God. Are you praying, church? Are you praying? 
You see, you're God's plan A. Did you know that? You are God's plan A for reaching the lost, for reaching people for Christ. You are his plan, the church, the light in Ira, Texas. You go out, you go to Walmart in Snyder, you go to Lubbock, your kids play on ball, ball clubs, you work with unbelievers. You're a light, church. In Romans 5, Paul says, for while we were still weak, the right, t- uh, the right time, at the right time, Christ God died for the ungodly. For one will sacrifice, sacrificially die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, are you praying for those that are not politically aligned with you that they might be saved? Are you praying for that nurse or doctor in the abortion clinic to be saved? Are you, are you praying for the drunkard and the drug addict and the thief and the rascal to be saved? They are sinners just like you were when Christ died on the cross for you. And he died for them too. The 17th century English, English Puritan Richard Baxter wrote, Oh, if you have the hearts of Christians or of men in you, let them yearn towards your poor, ignorant, ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step betwixt them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are awaiting, ready to seize on them. And if they die unregenerated, they are lost forever. Have you hearts of rocks that can cannot pity men in such case as this? If you believe not the word of God and the danger of sinners, why are you Christians yourselves? If you do believe it, why do you not bestir yourself to the helping of others? And I know that that's like old English, but here's it kind of par- here it is kind of paraphrased. Our hearts should be burdened for the lost. They will all one day die, and when they die, if they are not put there, put the, if they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they are lost forever in a sea of fire with no chance of rescue. Are your hearts made of stone? That hits me right there. Are your hearts made of stone, church, that you would not pity them? If you don't truly believe that the good news of Jesus Christ can save them, then why do you, you yourselves believe it? That's a toe stomper. If you don't believe that they could be saved, that they're too evil, that they're too bad, then why do you believe it yourself? If you believe it, then why are you not doing something about it to save them? So lastly, and in closing here, please begin to take action. So you've You've been burdened, you've begun to pray, and now it's time to take action. Is it your calling? Is it your purpose? Is it our calling together as a church to share the good news? Many of you have heard the great of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 
16. Now then the disciples went to Galilee. This is in Matthew 28. To Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This was a command given by Christ to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. Are you taking action? They did. And that same, that very same message, that message of, of Jesus Christ, the good news, we light the Advent candles in remembrance of today we meet here because of Jesus Christ today it started with one and went to 12 and it has come to you and are you taking action Jesus commands those who follow him to go going looks different for everyone I know that you can't go to Papua New Guinea maybe you can but Jesus does command us to take action and share the good news with those around us here in Ira, in a farm field somewhere, Walmart, a sports team. Christ commands that we share the good news with everyone. And to close and review of our time, the Apostle Paul's heart was so burdened and in agony for his own people because they did not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Reflect on this. Is your heart burdened for the lost? If it is, begin to pray and ask the Lord to use you to reach someone that they might be redeemed and justified to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Take action to, and follow the Holy Spirit's prompting to draw closer to whomever, leads, whomever he leads you to. Folks, it could be a family member. Think right now in your head. You can think of someone who is lost and you can begin to target them for, in the name of Jesus. Begin to pray for them and take action. A co-worker, a group of people, maybe it's even a people in another, in another part of the world. But our job, church, is to be burdened for the lost and to take action to reach them. And so I'd like to close with a prayer that's all right with you. So please bow your heads and pray with me as we close today. Lord God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for your word. God, that it stands.